I am a dad and I have access to many jokes. Uh, <laughs> what's Indiana Jones' least favorite beer? Nothing. Rolling Rock! <laughs> no. She doesn't get it. <laughs> That's great. I get it. I just don't want it, as, a, as a Winchester may have said once or twice. <laughs> Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-uh. And the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? You know, I haven't had much of a chance to talk to you man to man, Russ. Well, I've only been a man a few days, Dad. <laughs> oh, you know everything now, huh? You're 18 and you've got a scholarship and uh, you're not uh, fair. grown up and free. And I'm just an ignorant son of a bitch that never gave you anything. Hey, I never asked for anything. Oh, that's brilliant. really uh, like a first-time parent who makes mistakes and tries to learn from them. And like that parent, I find myself at that moment when I have to decide, do I hold on or do I trust you to yourselves? Let go and hope that you've understood at least some of my lessons. Come on, Sam, we're not communicating. It's extremely embarrassing, okay? What's embarrassing? Sitting in the dark with your dad, telling him about your love life. I'm afraid you lost me again, Sam. Hi, Daddy. What's the matter, honey? You don't feel so good? Mm-mm. You feel like you want to throw up? Okay. No! Gil. Oh, my God. Oh, Taylor, baby. Oh, sweetie. Oh. Gil, why are you just standing there? I'm waiting for her head to spin around. (laughs) I'm sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry, Daddy. But you let me down, too. (laughs) 
Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And if we didn't already make you cry with our opening montage, then just imagine what happens when we tackle this week's topic just in time for Father's Day. Our favorite movie dads from the 80s, but were they good or bad? The most important decision you can make right now is what do you stand for, Danny? Goodness or badness? Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Honey. Yes, Norman. Why is it the Chet's kids look at him like he's Zeus? My kids look at me like I'm a rack of yard tools at Sears. Steve, joining us today, she's been working hard on her new career as a stage mom. It's Jen with one N. Hello. I'm so glad to be back. You guys have been putting on some good shows, but I'm happy to be here. You haven't been on the show in a while. So what have, what have you been up to? Well, as Brad alluded to, I have been um, momming it up over here. My daughter, who's nine, she's in third grade. She starred in her school play, Annie. She is Aww. was... Will, will always be Annie. I know it was so adorable. And somehow this show was like more entertaining than it really has any right to be because it's an ele- elementary show, yeah. <laughs> you know, elementary school show. But it was just so, so good. And it was so much fun to like hear all these songs again, because I think I might have mentioned it in a previous show, but I was obsessed with the movie Annie when it came out in 1982 and ever since. So I have known this movie and these songs for so, so, so long. And I've shared it with my daughter for since she was a baby. And so it was really special to kind of share it with her. But I have to, I just want to mention one thing about it. And it's it's related to our topic today. And, and it's that there is a father in the movie and play Annie. And I just wanted to mention it, good old Daddy Warbucks, because Albert Finney, as you know, passed away earlier this year in February. And I just, for me, I know he's been in many, many amazing movies. You know, Miller's Crossing is one of my favorites. 1990. But but his role in Annie has just stayed with me for so so very long and his you know he is Daddy Warbucks, right? Sure. And I just wanted to RIP Daddy Warbucks and uh and mention if you've never been a parent of a child who finds their thing like just does it effortlessly and it comes from their soul and it just expresses who they are, it's pretty great. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to. I've been uh, that's, yeah. I've been helping backstage with with orphan dirty faces and, and costumes <laughs> and hair and that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it's been a really fun weekend. It's been really That's great. so awesome, Jen. It is really cool when, when you realize, oh my gosh, my kid is totally connecting with this. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that happen. Yeah, thanks. Well, cool. So then we'll dedicate today's show to uh, Albert Finney, dad, all the daddy war books of the world, all the stage moms and all the stage dads. For today's show, we're not going to go with the obvious and just name our favorite movie dads of the 80s. Uh, that's low-hanging fruit. Rather, we're going to pick some of the most notable movie dads from our decade and decide if their characters were mostly good, mostly evil, or somewhere in between. And I think it's going to be easy to argue that each of these dads meant good, but sometimes accomplished it in a dubious fashion. So did the end justify the means? Ultimately, we will render a verdict with each dad. <laughs> it's kind of a despicable way to celebrate the holiday, but... Uh, we're gonna do it. <laughs> Judgment. In, in keeping with the in keeping with the general tone around here, we know what's good, and we'll tell you when we find it. 
<laughs> so here's how it's going to work. Each of us has picked five movie dads, but we followed a few rules. The movies have to be released in the 80s, Jen. That's right! And ideally... Yes. <laughs> Don't worry about me. <laughs> and ideally, uh, the, the father figures either had to be one of the main characters in the movie or their actions vastly influenced the plot. That's what we're aiming for here. And we're, and we're trying to pick you know, some of the dads where you could make a case for either way. We're not going to pick... Uh, I can tell you right now that uh, The Shining... Uh, Jack Torrance from The Shining <laughs> is not going to be making any of our lists. A little too easy to pick him as a villain. Uh, likewise, Darth Vader, not getting into that. Going easy <laughs> on the sci-fi dads today, right? Okay, yeah. Well, you might see one. Well, you might see one or two. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. I've seen the list ahead of time, so unless you guys are hiding something from me, you know, we'll find out. Brad, who was your first dad on trial, for lack of a better term? (laughs) (laughs) Steve, my first dad of the show is Dune's Duke Leto Atreides. I'll miss the sea. But a person needs new experiences. They draw something deep inside, allowing him to grow. Without change... Something sleeps inside us and seldom awakens. The sleeper must awaken. Played by German actor Jürgen Prochnow. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Uh, And I, I think he was, you know, he dies pretty early in the movie, but I think he is a good influence on his son, the main character of the of the movie. Really? I'm going to disagree here. I mean, he basically drags his family, including his son's mother, who he refuses to marry. He drags them off this planet that they love and they enjoy and that they're safe on, drags them to another planet where pretty much uh, every bad thing that can happen to the, you in the universe happens. And he doesn't stick around to even put up a fight. What are you talking about? He gets killed. <laughs> he gets, I know. What's he supposed to do? Like come back from the dead? He's the easiest mark in the world. Oh, I disagree. You need to, well. <laughs> I, I know that saying you need saying you need to read the book to understand the subtleties of a movie is like basically saying you know I'm too highbrow for you, so I won't say that. But um, I, you know he was he was a victim of a lot of political machinations. He does obviously give his son uh, Paul some good advice. And, uh, you know, which ultimately serves him well, and the universe has changed forever. So maybe I was a little harsh in my judgment. So, you know, maybe he sets the table, but he, you know, put the fork on the wrong side. Yes. And and somebody got stabbed with it. That's my point. As long as it's not me. Okay. The three of us. Is he mostly good or mostly bad? So I've been quiet because I've never seen Dune. And I've listened to each of your arguments. And I'm going to say that he's a bad dad. Mostly yes. because I didn't understand the silverware argument. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the metaphors so there you are have strong. It. There you go. Not all the metaphors there are you strong. Have it. Well, yes. Duke Leto Atreides convicted by a bad metaphor. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, who's your who's your first dad up for trial? So my first dad is Mr. Clark Griswold. Of course, Chevy Chase from 1983's National Lampoon's Vacation, um, aka Rusty and Audrey's dad. Russ, you know I wouldn't do anything to hurt your mom. It's been a long drive, and 
Geez, I work, I work very hard for you and Audrey and your mom. I guess when you get older, you get these feelings, and uh, these feelings make you do things you wouldn't normally do. Like swimming naked with girls? Yeah, like swimming naked with girls. With, well, not with girls. You think I was swimming with girls? I think he's not that great of a dad. I mean, maybe he's just a hapless dad or maybe just bad things happen to him. But he seems to me to make some poor decisions. I mean, on the good side of the ledger, he definitely like he's a family guy, right? Like he is he is really aiming to have a good family time of it. So his his intentions are very noble. But I feel like on the way, he makes some bad decisions, no? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I may weigh in, yeah, I think that, you know, the only thing that really stops him from cheating with his wife in the pool of the of the hotel that they're at is the fact that people come out onto the balconies and see him in the pool. He's not a nice guy in that moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He kills the dog, the ant's dog, drags the dog to its death along the highway. I'm willing to render a verdict right now and say uh, uh, straight up bad, mostly evil. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Guilty. Exactly. That that'll be on his on yeah. Griswold's headstone. I think there's a lot of dog lovers in '80s Nation, so I think you just put the yeah. I think that's that's a good decision that many would agree with. Let, let me hit you with mine. I actually think we're going to break the losing streak here. The trouble is not everybody's going to going to appreciate this one as much as they should because not everyone has seen this movie. But I, I'm going to go with Steve Richman, uh, Julie's dad in Valley Girl from 1983. What difference does it all make? The way you look, the kinds of clothes you wear on your body. It's what you are that counts, what's inside you, what you stand for, not what other people want to make you. You see, honey, there are lots of people out there who just ain't happy unless you live and think the same way they do. And if you don't, you dig what I'm saying? I know all about that stuff. But, like, which one do I pick? <laughs> Oh, Randy or Tommy. Beats me, love. But let me know when you decide. Now, Brad's not seen this movie, right, Brad? What are you talking about? Of course I've seen this movie. Valley Girl? Yeah, it's so random which movies you've seen and haven't seen. I just always assume you haven't. Get to the back of the line, <laughs> Spearsy. Jen, Jen, you've seen it, right? Only like 560 times. <laughs> okay, so the three of us are on the same page. He's a hippie. You know, he gives her plenty of space, you know. I don't think there's anything bad that you can say about Steve Richmond other than maybe not enough supervision, you know, maybe too hipstery. You know, like like Julie says, why couldn't he own a pizza hut? Mmm, pizza. Who? I love this character because I just think the when he goes to smoke a joint because he's so freaking out about her going on a date, just like Wow, I've never seen that in a movie. It was just really kind of out of out of the norm for movie dad representations in the 80s, I think. It's weird because I remember back in the day, I saw Valley Girl long before I ever saw Apocalypse Now. So when the same actor, you know, Frederick Forrest, who plays Steve Richmond, shows up as as the cook, you know, of the patrol mm -hmm. boat in oh, Apocalypse yeah. Now. All I can think about is, you know, why is Steve Richmond in Vietnam <laughs> and stuff like that? That was just real disturbing to see uh, 
I think he gets his head chopped off, doesn't he, or something? It's just like, no, Steve Richmond, come on. Good dads. Okay. Yeah, you know that Steve Richmond would have been a conscientious objector anyway. He would have gone to Canada at that point, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we're ready to render a verdict here. Does, does, does Steve Richmond get a pass? Oh. Thumbs up from this listener. 100% totally awesome dad. I think he's wonderful. And I think the fact that he feels anxious that his daughter's going out, he's trying to give her space, but he still is human and, and do- cares. I guess that's the, the key yeah. to this character. Exactly. Okay, Brad, you're up again after uh, <clears throat> what we'll call the Lado atrocity. Oh, uh, who do you have up oh. next for your? Uh... Up next, I have Ferris's dad, Tom Bueller from 1986's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think I ought to lie down. Take a hot bath and then uh, wrap a hot towel around your head. Wrap a hot towel around my head. And then make yourself some soup. Get a nap. Okay. Okay. Tom. Your basic everyman dad working his office job, checking in on his sick son to see how he's doing. I think that while he doesn't play a huge part in the day that we see, I do think that his actions show him to be a, a caring dad. And I'm I'm going to say I think he's a good dad. I kind of think of him as an enabler and completely disengaged with his son's life. I mean. Kind of cares, I guess, maybe, but he's driving down the street. Ferris is running right next to him, and he doesn't recognize him. You know, he doesn't see him. He turns and he sees a blur next to him. Okay, I, I don't what know. Do you I think I think, that, I think what you're I think what you're seeing as neglect. I'm seeing as like there's a certain level of as a parent of a teenager. You're like, I really don't want to know. Like, if you can get away with it, great. God, <laughs> I'm aghast. I don't need to know everything you're doing all the time. Like, okay, just, yeah, I buy you know. that. Leave me out of it. There's a certain point. So, Jen, what are your thoughts? So, I have a philosophical response, and I'll try to make it quick because philosophy is so quick. <laughs> but no, I, I so <laughs> so what? So, we have a lot of John Hughes movies on our list. But one thing that has always bugged me about John Hughes movies is that his middle class is real. His version of middle class that he portrays is always um, more like upper middle class. So, like for example, um, Andy has a a car and a phone and a, you know, she's considered quote poor, but I think we would all probably consider her middle class, if that makes sense. Sure. So yeah, the, no, so, that makes sense. Yeah. So the Bueller's and all of the families and friends that surround the Bueller's, they're all, they seem very wealthy to me. I've always been kind of annoyed by how the parents in fair, I know the movie's not about the parents, but I, I, I don't know if I agree with the enabler comment, but I, I kind of see where you're coming from, Steve, that they're just sort of like, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just sort of like the reverse classism that I've learned from watching 80s movies where everyone's rich and you're not supposed to like <laughs> those people. And the thing is, John Hughes, people like Ferris, you do like. But when you look at like their houses and, you know, um, the, the beautiful car that Cameron drives, like it always kind of irritated me a little bit, you know. So I, I don't think he's a, an evil dad, but I also think he's kind of inconsequential. He's just sort of the provider of the wealth i guess there is about ten thousand dollars of the stereo and computer equipment in ferris's right? bedroom yeah. that's what i'm saying they're, they're not middle class they're like if anything they're they're lower upper class i mean they're they're living in this posh chicago s- suburb he, dad's he's, got a he's job an with an ad, advertising agency downtown he's got a window that looks out on a parade yeah but yeah. i feel like he john hughes always presents it as though these people you know what i'm saying like that that level We're of just normal uh, schlubs exactly. probably making our ends meet gotta go to work yeah yeah <laughs> 
I'm willing to let uh, Tom Bueller be a hung jury if if you guys are, are okay with that designation. Yeah. I'll allow it. I don't feel like he's consequential enough in the movie to even. So I'll just say, okay. <laughs> we will not try him again. He will be set free. Jen, who do you have up next? Well, funny, I have another John Hughes movie, Pretty in Pink, in ni- from 1986. And of course, I'm talking about the Harry Dean Stanton, one of his like, many, many iconic roles as Andy's dad, a.k.a. Jack Walsh. It's late. You got school. No, don't walk out on this. Will you please just listen to me? Please? I've already been through this, Andy. Sure, you go through it every day. You're still going through it. Why can't you just realize that she's gone and she's not going to come back? She's never coming back. Shut up! Why can't you accept it? She's just gone. Why can't you accept it? Because I love her, that's why. Well, I loved her too, you know. She just didn't love us back. He, again, I'm I'm not going to say evil versus good. I'm going to say good versus not great. (laughs) If if that distinction makes sense. He's kind of ineffectual, I guess. And I mean, honestly, well, it's funny. Not honestly, actually dishonestly, he doesn't really, for somebody who supports his daughter so well, doesn't really communicate very well with her. So obviously he's still mourning his, um, his wife who has died and, you know, he and Andy have become kind of a unit and he just seems like he is often the child in the, in the relationship, right? Mm, like she's the one who's taking, he's, she's making him breakfast. She's waking him up. She's trying to get him to go get a job. I mean, Andy kind of takes that mom role and then Jack Walsh sort of, I mean, I get it. There's grieving, but I, I don't know. I, I always felt like, and I know I was supposed to see how responsible and an adult Andy is in that role, but I don't know. I'm ambivalent about this one. What do you guys think? No, I, I, I think this is probably one of the most interesting dads that we're going to talk about today. And I, and I don't mean it in a favorable manner. I mean, he, he, he sort of just let go of everything and isn't being responsible anymore and lying to his daughter. Yeah. You know, does he love her unconditionally? Absolutely. But, is he acting like a responsible parent? Not in the not in the least. Like I, I'm curious how the hell they can afford to make their mortgage payment and eat f- meals with only Andy working a part time job. So, I'm I'm going to render a verdict of guilty. Well, I've been quiet because, as careful listeners will remember, I've seen this movie exactly once, and it was some time ago. So I don't really remember. His character, but based on your description, Jen, I'm giving him I'm giving him the heave ho. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the majority here and, and agree. But I do want to say one thing. There is a, one of my favorite dad scenes is when he's talking with Ducky, because in movies like this, especially um, John Hughes movies, you don't often see a parent, especially a dad, talking to a friend. Of the kid, you yeah. know what I mean, and and yeah. and actually, in a lot of movies, you don't see parents talking to the friends of the kid. And I thought it was just a wonderful, it was a lovely scene. And if I was going to flip back to um, not guilty, it would be because of that. I'm not gonna, <laughs> but if I were, it would be, be because of that scene, because of that, like it's such a tender scene where he's giving him like man to man advice about his own daughter. And he's just so like 
kind to Ducky, who's such a kind of weirdo. But yeah, I, I agree with you guys. But I do. Um, I would give him a pass for that scene. Maybe he's guilty, but he's you know he's already served out his sentence. In other words, there you he's, go. You know, he, he can be released on commuting his parole. Sentence? Yes, I'm commuting his sentence. He's his heart's in the right place, and I think that's sometimes that's all we can ask for. Here's another dad. I'll take my second pick and say that my dad also has his heart in the right place, even though he might execute it poorly constantly throughout the movie. I give you Old Man Parker from uh, 1983's A Christmas Story. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. Darren McGavin played the part. And this is a movie I have kind of a tortured uh, relationship with. I mean, I, I think I liked it the first 5,000 times I saw it on TV in a Christmas Day marathon session. on, But it's gotten to the point now where I really don't need to see it again. And I really don't need the fragile jokes and all that kind of stuff, or it's a major award and all that kind of like the entire movie's become, I don't want to say cliche, but man, one it, giant it's, it's bucket of trope, a tired trope. Yeah. But old man Parker is kind of like the, another disengaged dad. You know, the mom is basically left to raise the kid. He comes home every night, you know, grunting and screaming about the furnace and uh, stuff like that. I mean, he's, engaged with it to a certain degree. It kind of reminds me of the stories that I hear about my um, one of my grandfathers, my, my mom's dad. I didn't know him very long. He died of cancer when I was pretty young. But when she tells me stories, I swear in my mind, I'm thinking Old Man Parker from A Christmas Story. <laughs> <laughs> so and because, because I can never render my, my grandfather to be uh, guilty, I'll give Old Man Parker a pass and say um, – probably doesn't influence the story enough to be judged one way or another. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a comic book character in this movie to some extent, but I think he does he does move the story in one important way. He's the guy who buys that BB gun. Oh, that's true. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm so, I move for acquittal. <laughs> so, I, I you know, grief. When did we all go to freaking podcast law school? It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I got I'm, my I'm, I got my license online, so Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little torn on this. I think that he is largely, you kind of touched on it. He's, he's kind of this big trope of the, the, you know, big presentation of the bumbling dad trope is just kind of, you know, it's just there to kind of for the laughs and kind of ineffectual, but I don't know. Yeah. Jen, what do you think? I'm going to give him a pass because it was the forties. So <laughs> it was a different time. Is it, that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you, there were, there are, were plenty of um, unengaged dads in the eighties and there continued to be, but uh, in the forties, sure. it was kind of like the way things were. So I, I, I'm going to give him a pass. Different. Exactly. Yeah, Let me okay. ask an unrelated question here. I guess it's a related question. Did anybody here have a, a father or a mother who gave them a BB gun at any point in their lives? Oh, hell No, no. No. Did you ever fire one though? Did you ever like do you use your friends and you know? Oh sure, my friends had them. Yeah, I I borrowed one one time and I shot a bird and I have <gasps> not gotten over it since. And that was like, <sighs> you know, 40 you are the years one ago. kid who ever hit a bird with a BB gun. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with and my friends' BB guns. I'm telling you, forty years of guilt is no. A lot. That's like a Raymond Carver it. short story. It ain't worth and it. Maybe to boys the and girls. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't like the movies. It reminds me of the bird, that poor bird. I hope it's mm. a bird. <laughs> don't think it was. Okay, uh, Jen, you're up next. 
So my next pick is from Purple Rain, to no one's surprise, uh, which was at, came out in 1984. Prince's character, if you will recall, was only referred to as the kid, if ever. Not a lot of people said his name, <laughs> which anyway. So the kid's father also didn't have a name. In IMDb, it, he's called Francis L., but I swear... I don't remember anyone ever saying his name, but he's played by the actor Clarence Williams III. And he only shows up in a couple of short scenes and they're not great. And I am not going to defend him actually as I keep talking here. Um, in one scene, he comes in and he basically beats up uh, the kid's mom. So pretty terrible. In another scene, we get a little bit more depth of um, the kid's trauma, I guess, is that he, you see the father and he's playing piano. And so he's a musician, which is where we assume the kid gets his talent from. I saw mom up the street. She looked pretty bad. Any idea how she got that way? You got a girlfriend? Yeah, I got a girlfriend. You gonna get married? I don't know. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. he's not good. They they don't show him in scenes being a a good man, and then he winds up spoiler alert, killing himself. So it's not known that he dies. Well, yeah, he, but he, he shoots himself. He, sh he shoots himself. I, I just potato potato. <laughs> so as a character, he he moves the story forward. He gives the main character some emotional and historical heft. But as a character himself, as a father, boo. Boo. I'm going to say guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> Brad, is there anything you can say to possibly defend Francis L? I'm rubber stamping Jen's pick on that one with the rubberiest of stamps. Yeah, I do love the scenes that he's in. And I believe Clarence was one of only two professional actors in the movie. I think the woman who plays his mom was the other one. And besides that, it was just all Prince's friends. That's right. So those, were the, the, movie, those so. were the two seasoned actors. And you can kind of tell a little yeah. bit. Brad, speaking of seasoned actors, uh, who do you have up next? Oh, my next pick is Al Meyer also known as Lane Meyer's dad from 1985's Better Off Dead. Come on, Lane. Mellow off. I mean, it's a brand new year. I understand there's a New Year's Eve dance at your school. You kids love this disco thing. Disco? Come on, Dad. You are really bringing me over, man. Played by David Ogden Steers. I feel like he is just trying so hard to make some connection with his kid uh you know he's got the book you know he's always reading this book like how to how to figure out your teenager and he's you know trying to set him up on dates and kind of keep him moving and you know to no avail got him a job i think al is a, a good representation of a movie dad who's trying to help his kid maybe not always succeeding but he's trying what i always thought about this role was that i always thought it was not a great role but David Ogden Steers, who we all know better from MASH, just acts the hell out of it. I mean, he he finds, he channels some sort of crazy dad, and he just pours every ounce of his talent into just making this dad so well-meaning, and but so off-target at the same time. 
Jen? Well, I have to abstain from at least the, the judgment part of this conversation because I have never, ever, ever been able to see this actor as anything except for major Charles Emerson Winchester III. I just cannot, my, it, my brain like, glitches like i can't i can't do it so <laughs> like, i have to why aren't you wearing from, green right i have to abstain from this one because i just have never been able to like understand what is happening <laughs> well i feel like his character is the is the only sane one in that family like everyone else yes. is just looney tunes not badger all badger wants to do is uh it's pick, pick up, up loose women. women and build a <laughs> rocket out of vacuum machine right. parts Clearly the smartest one in the family. Anyway, I'm willing Never to give... Never says a uh, word. He doesn't speak. <laughs> no. I'm willing to give Almira a pass and, and declare him innocent. As am I. Okay, here's my third pick. Uh, I feel pretty strong that I can make a case either way, but I think everyone knows which way I'm going to lean. I'm actually going to pick a movie that has two dads. So we'll judge them both. We're going to talk about Ray and John Kinsella from 1989's Field of Dreams. Can I ask you something? Is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? actually think uh, this is going to be a, a, a sort of a no-brainer. I think most people know I love this movie and that reminds me of my own dad a lot. Uh, Kevin Costner plays the son, Ray Kinsella. Uh, Dwyer Brown, a name that's probably not too familiar to most people, played his dad, John Kinsella. But you got to remember that Costner's character is a father too. And part of the dilemma he has is he doesn't want to become like his father was. And remember, the, there's a whole divide between Ray pretty much going to college and never coming back, even after his dad dies, because of a big rift in the family. Was it of his dad's doing? I don't think so. I think it was the 60s, and Ray, Ray went to school in <laughs> Berkeley, and that was, was going to cause problems at home. I'm going to argue that they're both fairly innocent, and that they have probably the greatest dad meets dad moment in the history of films that will ever be close the door <laughs> argument over as the final moments of the film. Any, anyone disagree with me? I hadn't really thought about the angle of Kevin Costner being a dad as well. And I can certainly appreciate the, uh, the efforts to not repeat the same behavior as your own father with your children. So I think I'm going to give Costner a pass, but I, I'm not sure who to blame or credit for the, whatever you want to call it, the generational problems between him and his dad. I'm going to blame Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. I blame uh, the guy who wrote The Boat Rocker. Yeah, Terrence Mann. Jen, what are your thoughts on Ray versus John? Well, I, I, 
have to admit I have only seen this movie once and it's when it first came out. So I have very vague, vague memories of it. So I can't really weigh in on the dads because all I remember from the movie is Amy Madigan as Kevin Costner's wife and Ray Liotta's blue, blue eyes. That's all I remember from the movie. So I guess my verdict is yay moms and the love of a good woman. (laughs) (laughs) Steve's dying. Okay. Okay. Steve, Steve has gone bye bye. Innocent. What have you got left? So my pick is, Marty's dad from 1985's Back to the Future, that the original, The Mothership, because I don't remember the two sequels at all. But um, of course, played by the, I have always had a kind of a little crush on Chris McGlover because he's such an oddball, but Chris McGlover plays George McFly. Mr. McFly, Mr. McFly just just arrived. Oh, hi, Marty. I think it's your new book. Oh, honey, your first novel. Like I've always told you, you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. But what we get is actually three versions of George McFly, right? We get the original before Marty goes back in time. We get the young George McFly in high school. And then we get this alternate version of George McFly after uh, Marty has done all of his time traveling shenanigans. I guess really two dad versions, right? The original, very meek, very... um, push over kind of guy and and i always was uncomfortable watching those scenes where all the kids know he's kind of a loser too that always was hurtful to me (laughs) you know what i mean like it it was painful to see and then fast forward to marty's dad george as like this best-selling author he's got great hair he has a blazer, like, you know, like this pulled together dad. And I always was glad that they found a way to like overcome what had been reality. But at the same time, I, I always wish like, oh, I hope he hasn't become a jerk. You know, like I hope success hasn't made him not the kind person he was at the beginning or in the past. Don't con me, Biff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I think I'm going to go ahead and say George McFly is always trying, and I think that makes him a pretty darn good dad. Yep, I I concur with the uh, the argument of the prosecution. I'm getting on board. I'm getting on board the Back to the Future train. <laughs> Brad, what do you got next? Oh, uh, let's see. Next up, I I think we're going to have a unanimous decision on this one. This guy is <laughs> such a minor character, and yet I think he has an outsized uh, impact on the plot. He doesn't even have a name in the script. It's Andrew Clark's father from 1985's Breakfast Club. You want to miss a match? You want to blow your ride? Now, no school is going to give a scholarship to a discipline case. You may remember him. He appears in a pickup truck sitting next to his son briefly, in which he says... You fooled around. Everyone fools around. But you got caught, kid. Yeah. Basically, to me, he's projecting what he wanted to be onto his son and insisting that he live up to those expectations, which I think is shitty. But not unheard of. I mean, no, I have seen I have seen dads in real life very who very much are Andrew Clark's father. But that's why the character rings true because it's not a stretch. Right, it's not a stretch in the in at all. And I'm not implying that my dad did that. I'm just saying other other dads, I have seen it. Yeah. Your intensity is for shit, Spursy. <laughs> Jen, what do you think of Andrew F- Clark's father? 
So I'm going to put Andrew Clark's father in the middle of the bad spectrum with John Bender's father at the top of the evil and bad and Brian Johnson's father at the bottom because he seems like kind of a nice guy and you can see the apple didn't fall too far from the tree when he gets picked up right when uh when uh, brian gets picked up i would say he's kind of right there in the middle i mean i my guess is that his dad did some kind of sports too and so when you're just in that i mean that's kind of the point of the movie right when you're when you're trapped in this role it could be a generational trap like your jock family could have always been a jock family or your military family could have always been a military family you know what i'm saying sure or, or your yeah. theater family could have always been the theater family but those that's a cool family you want to be in that family <laughs> <laughs> you're intensity's for shit annie get out there and sing <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I think as far as Andrew Clark goes, I I get it. Like, I mean, it's kind of a two dimensional role, but I don't. Yeah. You know, it it, it gives I mean, it gives Emilio Estevez's character a uh, a reason. And I guess that's sort of the, the whole uh, theme of the his whole movie. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if the best thing you can say about him is he doesn't burn his son with a cigar, then, you know, I mean, just for yeah. spilling paint, it's paint. Like, go get some paint yeah. thinner, you know, there right. are rags, right? <laughs> Apparently, Bender has them wrapped around his wrists. You know, use some of those. <laughs> I'm going to pick up the uh, sins of the father theme and use it on my next pick. Dr. Henry Jones, played by Sean Connery in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Half the German army's on our tail, and you want me to go to Berlin? Into the lion's den? Yes. The only thing that matters is the grail. What about Marcus? Marcus would agree with me. Two selfless martyrs. Jesus Christ. That's for blasphemy. Am I the only one here who considers this the best of the three 80s movies? I like mm, the original the best. Sorry. I really do like the original, but this is just nipping at its heels. <laughs> okay. So I am the only one. So Sean Connery, just, it's just an amazing casting job. But they play him off right at the very beginning of the movie. You see it like a much, you don't see Connery, you hear Connery. Basically, completely ignoring his son, just completely mm-hmm. engrossed with Grail lore and finding the the Holy Grail. So much so that all this drama happens to Indiana for the first fifteen minutes of the movie, and the father is oblivious of it. As the movie goes on, you 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 pretty much hear Harrison Ford make his claim that what a crappy father Connery was because of his obsession, and that you know even there's implication that. Maybe their mom left because of it, or certainly some sort of major rift along those lines. But, you know, of course, at the very end, they save each other's lives, So, which, of yeah. course, it's an action-adventure movie. It's not I – mean, it doesn't have Christopher Walken in it. So nothing wow, that would be, that would be quite an ending if he got out there with the cup and's like, sorry, Dad, not feeling it. <laughs> Let him die. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> Shouldn't oh let me fall gosh. into that. Uh, shouldn't let me fall in the railroad car full of snakes, Dad. I really, I really, really am conflicted because obviously you've got a guy who, obviously for the majority of his life, his son was not his major priority, and yet his yeah. son follows in the same career, oddly enough. So think of There's that. There's lots to unpack there. There's lots to unpack there. But yeah, it's. You know, in the end, he's like, you know, when he thinks he's gone over the cliff and you were kind of asking me why I used that clip when we were talking about this movie a couple of weeks ago. You know, I lost him. I, I never told him anything. You know, he kind of understands that he wasn't there. 
Yeah. You know, so I don't know if it's enough to give him a, a pass, but uh, I'm going to say that it's enough to give him a pass only because that realization that he wasn't there, at least he realized it while they were both still alive, you know, and not yeah. all of us can say that. So, um, Jen, we are <laughs> finishing it up here. <laughs> Steve's trying to pull himself together. What do you have left? Well, I have a um, controversial pick, perhaps. I picked uh, Sam Baker's dad, Jim Baker, played by Paul Dooley, in the film Sixteen Candles. Jake is a senior, and he's beautiful and perfect. I like him a real lot, and he doesn't like me, okay? Oh. And he's got this incredible girlfriend. I'm just this ridiculous dork that's falling around like a puppy. Why do you think you're a dork? I don't think you're a dork. I don't think mom thinks you're a dork. Mike thinks I'm a dork. Mike is a dork. You've seen that, right, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me come over there. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so this movie from 1984, um, you know, there's a lot of people in it. Of course, Sam is, is the center of it all. There's a ton of people in this movie. Jim Baker, at the end of the movie, a couple great things happen with him, right? One is he gives that wonderful, has that wonderful heart to heart with her, with Sam, as she's like sleeping on the couch because every other possible room in bed is taken from all the other characters that are visiting. Sofa City, sweetheart. Sofa City, sweetheart, exactly. So they have this, you know, very endearing conversation. And then at the end, when Jake Ryan, spoiler, comes to get her at the church and he says, go ahead, you don't have to come to the reception, essentially. He's like, go, you can go. I loved that scene, too. And it was sort of like they have, obviously, a very lovely relationship. That said, he forgot her birthday. (laughs) If you didn't say that, I was going to. Yeah. His daughter's birthday. And I understand his other daughter is getting married. And I understand that it's like a lot of stress when a lot of families around. Yeah. I just had that experience this weekend. But I mean. It happens every know? year, and, and people. It happens every year. And you would think that like as they're planning on this wedding, which is you know, a fairly standard wedding where there's lots of uh, flowers and things you have to plan for. You see the date, right? <laughs> you, you know what? You know what date the wedding is going to be. Nobody at any point was like, "Oh, you know what's funny? That's right. That's the day after Sam's birthday." Nobody says that. Which I'm thinking the mom is not great either. Guilty. Both of them are guilty. They're all guilty. <laughs> poor, poor Sam. <laughs> Thoughts? You know, I love Paul Dooley, but condemned from your very mouth. I throw the book at him. I love Paul Dooley as an actor, and he uh, he plays another great dad in Breaking Away, the movie that helped me clinch the uh, oh, competition it. a few weeks ago. You hear that? Between oh, 1979 and 1989. That's the ship sailing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it. That was a great dad character, too. Gosh, I really want to say, you know, it's kind of like he – It's if this were – if we're going to stick with the trial – comparisons you know he, he turned state evidence and managed to get a, a very very reduced sentence by his actions towards the end of the movie so there you go yeah i picture like in the sequel he's gotten her a car too <laughs> because because he, he should feel maybe that he should, bad maybe he could help her find a boyfriend that doesn't sell his ex-girlfriends to freshmen for you know a pair of used underwear we have established the movie is problematic <laughs> 
Let me go next. I've got a good one here from 1989. Can you believe it? Three of my picks are from 1989. I never talk about 1989. 1989. <laughs> it is weird. A surprisingly yeah. good movie year. It is a great movie year. Except Thank for the summer. You. Yes, it is. <laughs> except for the summer in which it was in- eclipsed by 1979. But in 1989, we got the amazing character. And I'm going to say right off the bat, irredeemable. James Court, the father of Diane Court, in Say Anything. So, Lloyd, you graduated Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Lloyd. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane before uh, she leaves? Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. Now, John Mahoney played this part, and it's easily, aside from being in Frasier, this is a signature role. Yes. And I know he was in Eight Men Out, and that's a great role too. But James Court is, like a lot of the dads here, you know, he means well, trying to provide everything his daughter needs. But he is stealing from the senior citizens that he is, you know, emboldened to protect. Yeah. And lying He's not about a nice it. guy. And that's bad. And that's bad. Yeah, let's write that's that bad. one down on nice. our good bad list. You could argue that he's not a nice guy, but that he's a great dad. But a great dad wouldn't do something that would put you in prison and take you away from your daughter. Right? Right. Okay. As far as you know. So there we go. As far as I know. Okay, Brad, your turn. Uh, What's your final pick for uh, the good or bad movie dads of the 80s? Okay. This is the character that came immediately to mind when we started talking about this topic. And that's Reverend Shaw Moore from 1984's Footloose. Ren McCormick made a lot of people stop and think. I object to that kind of music, and I think you know why. Because people fornicate to it. I never said that. That's what you told the church board. That was not meant for your ears. Well, when do my ears get old enough, Daddy? When you stop protecting me? I'm no saint, you know. It is my duty to look after the spiritual growth of you. I'm not even a virgin. Don't you talk like that in here. Why not? I've talked about this on the podcast before, and honestly, if anybody ever wants to talk about Footloose, I get started on this, how Reverend Moore is the only character in that movie that changes, that has any growth, and it's his growth that drives the movie. He, as a parent, he as a father, is starting to realize, you know, I can't can't keep this child in a bubble wrap cocoon of safety. There's just no way to do that and have them grow, right? I just I really feel like he is the motive force in this movie and that the movie is really his story as much as it is Ren and Ariel's story. Yes. The treating your daughter as he treats his congregation, you know. Right. How can you make someone trustworthy without giving them the trust? It's a it's a it's it's easily the the best character in the movie and I think this is a brilliant pick. For someone who starts out so ridiculously evil at the beginning. <laughs> To, to make that transition to well, at, at the end to being one of the heroes. Let me let me say something about I was thinking about this too. At the beginning when he confronts Ariel at the you know at the burger place, whatever, he just he turns off the music and he just he says what he has to say and he just looks like he's been whipped. Like he just turns around. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't like come down on everybody. He just like turns around and goes away like he's kind of broken. Like I don't even know what just happened here, but that wasn't what I was expecting. You know? I agree about the, the that he's the driving force in this movie. 
He does have the longest journey, for sure. He does change and learn and grow. You guys are forgetting, though, the the reason that he's so, and I'm not going to say evil because I don't think he is, that he's so broken and and, uh, in so much pain at the beginning, which is his son has died. That's true. That's true. And that's huge. That's huge. You know, you think about... Um, Andy's dad, uh, who, who was grieving the, the loss of his wife, like he's grieving the loss of his son. And it hasn't, I don't think it's been that long since that happened. So I think he, he, his, his feelings and his, his actions are misplaced. But I do think he, he, uh, he grows and, and he learns. But I, I will say he's not the only one because Willard becomes a pretty great dancer. <laughs> and I don't want you, I don't want anyone to forget that he changes too. <laughs> You know, if you're going to take all my jokes away from me, I don't even know why we have you on the show. Yeah. <laughs> this feels like a good time for a break. We'll be right back after this commercial message. See you, Benegut. We need this now. Now? Tonight. Like tonight, tonight? Like yesterday. When you need to escape from the everyday. Tonight. Escape to Benegut's. This man needs help. Just escape to the people who help you unwind. Can I help you, Jack? <laughs> All the help I can get. Escape to the kind of food How's our friend that here? leaves the everyday right. far behind. Only Bennigan's is your escape from the everyday. And we're back, and we saved one movie for last. I think that there's one movie from the 80s. That probably has the highest concentration of dadism. And so we want to kind of give it its own due. I'm speaking, of course, about 1989's Parenthood. Hey, who's to say who's a shitty father? Kevin's in therapy. We got called to school last year because Taylor was kissing all the boys. Justin keeps ramming things with his head. My career is in the shithouse. You worry too much. You always did. So there's a lot of dads in this movie. There's Steve Martin. There's Rick Moranis. There is Keanu Reeves as the dad towards the very end. Yeah. And there's Jason Robards. So you got four, that, four dads. Don't forget Tom Hulse has a kid too. Oh, my God. That's yeah. right. Tom Hulse has a kid too. So really, truly, you see the entire spectrum of dads in this movie. You have Jason Robards and Tom Hulse as the – Tom Hulse is definitely the bad dad. You know, He's got a kid. He's going to abandon him at the end of the movie. Yeah. Jason Robards is the bad dad for 90% of the movie, but he steps up to help his son, Tom Hulse, who's in trouble. Yeah. He finds a way for him to get out from underneath all the uh, the bookies. So, you know, it's like he makes a late comeback. But I think to me, the, the character that steals the show is Steve Martin, who I believe his entire motive is that his entire life, he believes his dad was a crappy parent, and his his one thing is, I'm not going to be my dad. I'm going to yeah. be a better dad. I'm going to be a great dad. But he's, he's presented with a ton of challenges along the way. Absolutely. So that's, right. And so that drives the movie. I love the scene where he uh, puts the, the bathroom mats as fake chaps so he can be the yeah. cowboy. Oh, my God. That kills me. I was talking to my mom today on the drive home from work, and I was telling her about parenthood. And she doesn't remember seeing it. But I, I'm t- describing the plot about Steve Martin thinking his parent is a bad parent. Yeah. And, and my mom went on this. She's like, well, I think I was a bad parent. I'm like, you weren't a bad parent. You were a great parent. I mean, you've got two college-educated kids. You know, my sister's pretty normal. 
she's got kids who are both in college. It's like, I'm sort of screwed up, but you know, I'm sort of getting it together now. I'm 51 years old. I've got a great girlfriend and like things are starting to move in the right direction. But she was, she was pretty despondent. She was just like, no, I don't oh, think no. I was a very good, very good parent. And I was, I just, I felt Aww. so sad for her. Spiracy's um, mom, buck up little camper. <laughs> I love this movie, too, because it was shot at the University of Florida when I was there, my senior year. They shot – all the graduation uh-huh. scenes were shot there, right in the middle of campus. And the rest of the movie shot within five miles of where I live right now in Orlando. Really? Wow. Yep. It's got something for everybody. It's a fantastic movie. If, if you want to like, encapsulate all the dadness of the 80s, I think you can find it all in parenthood. Life is messy. I, I, I hate messy. It's, it's, it's so messy. You know, when I was 19, Grandpa took me on a roller coaster. Oh? Up, down, up, down. Oh, what a ride. What a great story. I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so, so excited and... And so thrilled all together. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around. Nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. Hey, I got a question for all of you. As we were going through this and talking about the individual dads, I kept trying to... I guess it's just natural that I, I was comparing my own dad to uh, a lot of these characters. And I, so I'm just kind of curious of all the dads from the eighties, and it doesn't have to be one that we talked about today, but, but of all the dads from the eighties, is, is there one that most resembles your own dad? Let's, let's start with uh, Jen. I'll be brief, believe it or not. But the first person, when, when you asked this question, the first person that popped into my mind was Danny Glover's character in Lethal uh. Weapon, uh, Sergeant Roger Murtaugh. And so here's the funny part. My dad is not a Vietnam vet, nor is he a police officer or a detective or any of that. Um, but what made me think of Murtaugh is that my dad is like really solid and he would do anything for his family. And he's been thinking about retiring for like 20 years. He is now, <laughs> he has now retired. He has retired here to live in, in Maine to be closer to his granddaughter and his daughter, me. But he has just been talking about retirement for so long. Um, I feel like he was too old for this shit, like when he was 35. Um, <laughs> but, he, but, but just like this, 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 right. But just the solidness of Sergeant Murtaugh is, is what makes me think of my dad. He's just a solid dude. Nice. So here's my pick. It's going to be Field of Dreams. Everybody knows that. But I think the reason why is, and I'm going to pick Ray, John Kinsella, the, the older dad, Costner's dad. And where it hits me is Costner's dad was a baseball player for like a hot second. But that's what his love was. That's what he wanted to be. My dad, before he met my mom, was a Marine. He had joined the Marines. Really? Yeah. He joined the Marines out of – I think he may have gone to college for a year or two. And then he joined the Marines in the early 60s. And he was having a hell of a career in it. I think he had risen up to staff sergeant. And hmm. Wow. But when he met my mom and got married, he got out of the Marines and raised a family. And I always kind of wonder if – 
he would have, you know, if that hadn't have happened, would he have stayed in the Marines? Would that, would that have been his career? I, I see yeah. these old photos of him. There's one of him and his friend. They were driving around in the Dominican Republic during the, one of the uprisings there in the 60s. And sni- snipers were shooting at him. And so what did they do? They got out of the car and had someone take a photo because that's kind of that's just the kind of like <laughs> fearless oh my gosh. that he was. He just didn't have any fear of that. He just I love yeah, that photo. I wow. wish I could get it blown up and put it on the wall. So I I think I identify with he's not here to, to answer that question, you know, what would right. I think he would have stayed in the Marines. I think he would have had an amazing career and um so he's my he's my John Kinsella, and it's probably no surprise his name was John too. So, huh. uh, Brad, I'm looking forward to your answer. Well, I was uh, trying to think of a creative way to not answer this question because I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast. I had a bit of a strained relationship with my dad. It wasn't like he was, you know, an awful person or anything. That he just wasn't really present as a father. He's kind of doing his own stuff. Uh, maybe more like Dr. Henry Jones than John Kinsella. But in order to give you all an actual answer, I thought to myself, hey, I'm the dad on this podcast. Let me ask my kids what they say. And my daughter was of little help because she's not so into the 80s. But my son, he's got some knowledge. So I'm going to play a clip that he recorded for you now. So I would say that the uh, father figure from an 80s movie that is the most representative of my father would be, in my opinion, the father figure from the 1985 movie Better Off Dead, Al Meyer. Now let me explain that a little bit. So this was a tough uh, a tough thing for me to think about, honestly, because a lot of the father figures that come to mind are very much caricature-esque. They have very exaggerated traits, so it was kind of hard to find one that really fit. But in this case, I like to think that uh, Al Myers, the character of Al Myers, is kind of how my dad would would react had he uh, woken up suddenly in the family situation that is uh, present in that film. Just the zaniness and the, the ridiculousness of it all. Now, some scenes that come to mind, for example, the box where Al's trying to get some cereal, and there's just pieces of the box cut out, and it's just falling out. And the tired, kind of weary why that he gives just very much seems like something my father would say and another example is of course the dinner party scene and uh <laughs> just uh, the alan's up just pulling all these funny faces at the just the wackiness of all the topics going on and that's very much something my father would do that kind of cynical snarkiness i think is funny and does kind of remind me of him so now the one thing he's missing, of course, is my dad's sense of humor, I'd say. My father, while he can get a little snarky and a little a little cynical, he's definitely a very cheery, lighthearted guy. So that is a trait that I don't think is really mirrored in the character of Al Myers. But the rest of it was close enough, so there you go. So apparently to my son, I am Al Meyer. Aw, that is so sweet. <laughs> Aw, man, I'm getting all teary here. That's, 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 oh, wow, man. Well, there are some parallels there. I have been known to, uh, you know, when I'm faced with something, I don't really know what to do. I go and buy books. Like when Katie was pregnant, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I need to read some books on being a dad. And the thing I found out fairly quickly was books can tell you a lot about kids in general, but they can't tell you shit about your kid. 
Just what you really want to know. <laughs> I could totally imagine you, though, picking up the cereal box and having the cereal pour, pour out the bottom and, and you going, <laughs> why? I mean, I could picture it <laughs> like you're sitting right like next to me. It did happen. Actually, that's true because my horrible children would leave like a tablespoon of cereal in the box. Like, oh, it's not empty. I don't have to throw it away. Oh, yeah, that would never have fit in the bowl you were eating. Thank you, lazy little. <laughs> so I would go get the box and it'd be like, nothing would come out. I'm like, what is going on here? Oh, that's accurate. <laughs> Kids are the worst. <laughs> I know. I know. And then they leave and you're like, oh, I kind of miss them. <laughs> Hey, that's all we have for this week. I hope we touched on some of your favorite movie dads. Um, if we didn't, send us an email. The email, as always, is podcast at sat80s.com. We'll be back next week with a great new show and the full seggies. In the meantime, happy Father's Day while we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. And I'm ready. is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. <laughs>